The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. friends, welcome to episode number 118 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in again with us this week. Uh, before we get into this week's episode, I do want to thank Ruth Ann Kerr for your uh, wonderful review on Facebook, your kind words. Thank you so much. These reviews really help us to be found by people looking for good content. Also, another housekeeping item. I said this was going to be our last interview of the year, and that next week was just going to be our listener Christmas spectacular with all of your stories. We're still going to do the Christmas episode, so please, I have gotten some wonderful thoughts and stories. Please send them to me. Uh, if you want to be a part of the episode, you can send it to my email. It's sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. Or you can send it to me on Facebook Messenger. But uh, I'd love to read and share your stories. I've gotten some great ones. But we are going to have another interview next week. I had an opportunity for a special guest who just epitomizes what Christmas is, and I couldn't say no when this person reached out. So we will have another regular episode next week with uh, just an incredible interview, and then we will have uh, the listener Christmas Spectacular the following week. And speaking of incredible interviews, this week's guest, Stephanie Dib Sorensen, is an incredible author, and this interview, she is so vulnerable about things I think that so many of us think about. I was incredibly impressed. We had never met before. I did not know her story, but uh, she's just a fantastic author and a fantastic person. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'll share some thoughts on fatherhood. It's all coming up. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here in the Latter-day Live studios, we have a wonderful published author, uh, Stephanie Dib Sorensen. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited to have you here. And this is one of those fun interviews for me because I really genuinely don't know you. So everything <laughs> today uh, gets to be a fun surprise. Uh, before we get into your books and everything else, why don't we get to know you? Tell us where you're from. Uh, I claim that I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, because that's where I lived the most times and where I graduated from high school. But I've lived all over the place. My dad just had a, a job. He wasn't in the military or anything, but he had a job that moved him over different regions. So we traveled. I lived in the Midwest, um, the South, and came out to school, Utah. Mm. And um, Were you raised in the church? Yes, yes. Yeah. So a Latter-day Saint, being a Latter-day Saint in Atlanta, very different from being a Latter-day Saint in Utah. Yeah. Moving around a little bit and in the Midwest and everything. What's it like growing up in the church, moving all over? Um, I think that if you, if you have to move all over, being a member of the church is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Because wherever you land, you find a ward family. 
and it's a quick way to, you know, as a as a child and as a youth, it was a quick way to immediately fall into a group. You had a beehive class and you had a seminary group and things like that. And so I think that the church made what could have been traumatizing moves in adolescence and young age be kind of a soft place to land. Mm, and so awesome. I really appreciated that about my growing up experience, having the church being something that was continuous throughout all of that. How many kids are in your family? I'm the oldest of four. You're the, uh, are you the typical oldest, the yes. alpha? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm the bossy agree? one and the smart one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that tells us everything we need to know. That's so funny. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, what were you into as a, uh, like as a youth? Were you always a writer? Uh, it's funny. I... I would say no, I wasn't really a writer, but I guess I, I guess I kind of was. Um, I remember my mom kept good scrapbooks and stuff, and there's tons of like little stories and notes and things. I, I liked to write letters a lot, mm. and um, as a young child, I would write notes and letters to people all the time. Um, I entered in poetry contests and things, and actually, I had a poem published in the Friend magazine. In the Friend, that's a big deal, though. <laughs> How old were you? Roughly, when when you were published in The Friend? Uh, I was probably eight or nine, something like that. Do you still have that? Uh, Do you still have that? I uh, I don't have a physical copy of it, but I do remember what it was about. It was a poem about The Friend magazine, about running to the mailbox and getting The Friend or something like that. So So what was that like? You're eight or nine years old and you ran to the mailbox (laughs) to get The Friend. So everything you described in the poem... What was it like seeing your name and, and everything published in The Friend? Um, yeah, that's back in the day when they actually put your whole name in because, you know, now it's <laughs> dangerous to put children's yeah, whole right, names in magazines. Right. Oh, it was a So I'm time. sure I felt very famous. I remember <laughs> that. Um, so, yeah, and I, I also remember in elementary school, I entered in some kind of local oratory club Mm. contest thing and I won and so I got to give my speech oh I remember the title something about always optimistic or something like that what (laughs) oh I think the best I expect the best that was the title that they gave that they gave us like it was the the topic Mm. and everybody submitted lessons and speeches and I remember my three by five index cards with my (laughs) notes and my quotes and I got to give that at the school assembly or something so and that got you kind of hooked to, or at an early age, I would imagine, you know, seeing your name in print. I guess. Pretty exciting. I I'll bet your parents were just beaming. <laughs> Pro- probably, yes. My mom is definitely my biggest fan, almost to a fault. She, yeah. I, yeah. She thinks I can do anything. And Let's see. And it's working. Yeah. <laughs> so in high school, uh, were you the, the studious writer? Were you into, into school? I was into school. I was. I didn't do much writing in high school that that I remember. I did. Um, I I did love my English classes. I I've loved literature and things like that. Um, yeah. I actually, when I went to college, I got my minor in English teaching. Like I was certified in teaching high school English. So then you leave to go to school. Tell us where you went to college. I came out to Utah to Brigham Young University. So graduated yeah. from high school in Atlanta. Came to Utah and. Um, I'd always wanted to come here. My extended family was in Utah. And so mm. this is where we would come for all of our you know, family reunions and things like that. And my dad was a graduate of BYU. And so I'd always 
I don't think I applied anywhere else. I just applied to BYU and came and um, had a great experience at BYU. Did you have the classic, like, did you live at the dorms and yes, everything? absolutely. In fact, we just found out that uh, <laughs> we have a mutual friend, someone who's been on the show who our audience just adores. Tell us who you knew in college. Okay, so when I came out as a freshman, I lived in Helaman Halls. And lived there my freshman year. And my sophomore year, I stayed on at Helaman Halls as a resident assistant. And one of my girls that year was uh, Abby Stevens. She was then Abby Birch. Sure, now Abby Stevens. Now Abby Stevens. And we um, we became good friends and stayed in touch and are still friends to this day. It's just so awesome. Abby is the best. She's She's just awesome. So... So you're having kind of this typical BYU experience. Did you know the entire time that you were going to major? What, what, what was your actual major? Oh, my major at BYU is Spanish teaching. Spanish teaching? I have a master's degree in Spanish pedagogy. What? <laughs> Whoa, that's a, that's a curveball. When yeah. did Spanish come into the mix here? Okay, so my dad served a mission in Argentina, mm. and I have early childhood memories of him telling us about his mission, and I still remember songs he sang to us in in <laughs> Spanish. I can still sing them, and that's um, really sweet. Yeah, and so when I got into high school and I knew I wanted to study a language, Spanish was just automatic for me. And I don't know, there was something about it that mm. I absolutely loved. I remember I used to ride my bike to schools, even though I was in high school. I'd I'd rode my bike to school, and I remember repeating favorite phrases that I had learned in my Spanish class just over and over out loud. I just loved the sound of them and things. And so I just did four years of high school Spanish, loved it. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I've always just kind of, it's that big sister thing. I don't know. I've always been a teacher, like, you know, played school at home and things like that. And so I just kind of put the two together and decided I wanted to be a high school Spanish teacher. Wow. And did that love continue through BYU, that it love did. of Spanish? It did. And I taught Spanish at BYU while I was doing, when I was finishing my bachelor's, I was invited to teach like an introductory mm. Spanish class. And then I stayed there for my master's degree and taught classes during that whole time as well. So I loved that. Had a really great experience doing that. Which is really impressive because at BYU, there are so many Spanish speakers by nature of missions. So you're at BYU. How was your overall BYU experience? My BYU experience was fantastic. Yeah. I love BYU. I even now, you know, I am forty something years old. <laughs> and when you're in I, good company. I'm forty yeah. something also. And when I, when I step on campus at BYU, I automatically feel like I'm 26. I just love it there. Like I feel everything that I used to feel there every time I'm there. I just love it. It's a great place. Lots of happy memories. I had a wonderful education there and just made a lot of great lifelong friends. Were you the, the, again, the classic sort of BYU, let's go to the football games, let's go hang out at the Wilk, let's like, were you pretty immersed in the BYU life? Yeah, I think I was pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I I loved it. I was happy doing all of the things that the BYU lifestyle promotes. That was what felt very comfortable to me. And Mm -hmm. I I, I feel like I thrived at BYU. How was dating at BYU? Um, Long. I dated for a decade. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. That's such a great way to put it. I've never heard anybody (laughs) say that. I dated for a decade. Yeah, I dated for a decade. And um, you know, many people have dated for longer than that, but it just it felt long and long and tedious for me. I had I had some 
good dating experiences. Um, but yeah, I didn't get married until I was 27. Which it's funny because you talk about, you know, you dated for a long time and it didn't happen quickly, whatever. 27. Now can you at least look back and go, holy cow, that's so young. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's totally fine. Everything happened exactly in the right order in its life for me. And um, just that when I was in the middle of BYU dating, it felt like like a long slog. (laughs) Yeah, because you're kind of surrounded by the, oh, I'm going on a first date tonight. And then a couple weeks later, hey, we're engaged. Yeah. Yeah, you know, by the time by the time I got married, and obviously this is just a weird BYU culture thing, but you know, by the time I got yeah, married, right. I have friends who had gotten married, gotten divorced, gotten remarried, and had a child. <laughs> you know, and so. that is a weird BYU culture thing, yeah. right? I don't yeah. even think it's church culture. I think that's BYU culture. Right. Do, you, do you see it that way too? Yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and it's. When you look back, it's totally fine. Everybody did their own path and did the right mm-hmm. thing right thing for them. And I'm glad that everything worked out for me the way that it did. But right. there were times, um, you know, when I was finishing up my master's degree and I was kind of, even though I loved the BYU experience, I did kind of get, I did get sick of the BYU dating scene. I was right. kind of, I was kind of over that, did the move farther and farther away from campus thing, just feeling a little more detached from that, but we've had a couple of guests have come in who have said that they felt like graduating and not being married, like there was pressure yeah. that they felt either from family or friends. Yeah. Did you feel some of that pressure? I did a little bit. In fact, a funny story when I was, um, when I was 26, I went to a wedding reception for a younger cousin. She was probably three or four years younger than I was yeah. at the time. My grandpa was 89 years old. And I love my grandpa. We had a great relationship. And he was standing in the receiving line with my cousin in her backyard. And when, when I came through the receiving line and I came up, he said in his very loud, like, you know, the, the hearing aid grandpa <laughs> voice, <laughs> he, yeah. said, he said, Stephanie, don't give up hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And... Only, only in Latter Day Saint culture. You're twenty. I was twenty six. Twenty six years old. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Oh, I hope that this is changing. I think it's changing. I, I hope think. it's changing. I think we're getting better at recognizing that you know there's no perfect right timeline, right. and we can relax a little bit and just right. enjoy life. And right. And I do. I mean, at that point, you know, at that point, I was. Working in my master's program, I was applying to PhD programs. Um, I felt like I had a good and happy plan for my sure. life. I had kind of already made peace with the fact that I might not get married, and that's okay. And so I literally, mm. in my journal, have this whole plan written out about mm. all the good things I could do with my life and plans and how maybe at an older age I I could um, be a foster mom for some children that needed help. Mm. And, you know, I, I just kind of thought through all of those things tr- because I didn't want to live my life feeling like if this doesn't happen, I don't have a complete life. That's I just didn't so want to awesome. approach it that way. Good. But then you do end up getting married. I, so. I do. <laughs> yes, I got married. Planning, 
Wait, was Grandpa still alive when you got he, married? Yes. In fact, my wedding reception was on his 90th birthday. Oh, that's fantastic. So we had my wedding cake and his birthday cake at this <laughs> we're, reception. We were able to high five him and say, yeah. we didn't give up hope and look what happened. <laughs> yes. In fact, when we were leaving when when we were leaving the ceiling room, my grandpa was there and he gave me a hug and he said, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> grandpa I love like him. a hilarious yeah. guy. All right, so uh, tell us how you ended up meeting your husband. Okay. This is a tricky story, I guess. Uh, I met my husband for the very first time, but I don't remember it, when we mm. were both standing in line to get a Temple Recommend interview, and we both moved into a new ward. Kind of, this was in the moving away from BYU stage yeah. of my life. And... um we just made small talk in the line because you're standing next to someone just waiting for the bishop. Sure. I don't remember that. My husband remembers all of that vividly, right? But the first time I feel like I met my husband was when he was on a date with my roommate at our house. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the part that's a little bit tricky uh, because – there were some obstacles to overcome in yeah. that uh, he he expressed an early interest in me, but I knew that my roommate was interested in him, and so were they dating? Um, they had been on two dates. Okay, so in his mind they weren't dating, but in her mind they were. That's a tricky playbook. Yeah, yeah. That's that's hard to navigate. Yeah. So, um, and I love her and had been friends with her since I was 12 years old. Wow. So um, I I will say that she kind of ends up being the hero in this story because um, I actually felt really strongly like I was supposed to date him and didn't know how to do that. And mm. so we had a hard conversation and she was upset at first, but she came back to me the next day. And told me that while she was at work, she had had kind of a spiritual experience where she felt the strong impression mm. that I was supposed to date him and that she was fine with that. Wow. So, that's a good friend. Yeah. Great that's friend. Pretty, that's pretty neat. Yeah. So how does that transition happen? Do you go back to him and <laughs> I'm just picturing you and your roommate going back to your husband now and saying, we've talked about it. <laughs> We're okay with this. How does <laughs> yeah, that happen? Yeah. We approached him together in council. Was it a group meeting? No. <laughs> no. The bishop would it, like it wasn't to meet like with that. all of us? <laughs> no, nothing like that. It was actually, um, he was very persistent behind the scenes. He asked me out and I told him, it was kind of an awkward thing. He called me up on the phone and I assumed he was calling for my roommate. So mm. we kept having this small talk conversation. I just kept waiting for him to ask for her, but he asked me out and it completely took me off guard. And I told him, I said, can I call you back? <laughs> oh, the poor man. Yeah. And oh, so would you like to go out? The answer is, can I call you back? Yeah. And oh, so I had boy. to think about it and yeah. I, I did call him back and I told, and I told him that I couldn't go out with him and he guessed the reason, right? Yeah. And um and I said something along the lines of, you know, under different circumstances, I think I think it would be great to get to know each other and who knows what would happen. And as soon as I said that I thought, what a stupid thing to say. Why did I say that? <laughs> Why did I say that? <laughs> I love this story. And and so 
Um, after that, he became very persistent because the way the conversation ended was kind of the idea of maybe later. Yeah. You know? And, and so, who knows what would happen. And, and this just happened to be right at the birth of something called email. Yeah. You know? I and remember so, that. so he would email me almost daily and say, can I ask you out yet? Can I ask you out yet? <laughs> How funny. And um, so after, it seemed like a really long time. But when I go back in my journal, it was really only a couple of weeks, two, three, four weeks, mm. something like that. Um, that I had this experience with my, with my roommate. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't know that there was a, there was a conversation. I call, I called him up and I went over and saw him at work and, yeah and told him that I'd had that conversation with her. And it, and at that time, and we, we'd already been in communication, but it was kind of clandestine. I don't know, (laughs) you know, and so he knew what was going on in the process and, um, our, we would still be together in groups. Plus, when you're younger, everything's drama. Yeah, yeah, it was all. I mean, everything's more dramatic yeah. when you look than when you look back on it, right? Did you end up getting your PhD? I did not. You did not. I did not. That is kind of an unchecked box in my in my life. And in the last couple of years, I've really revisited the possibility of returning and doing that. But every time that I've tried to figure out what that path looks like, it just doesn't play out it just and so probably just in the last six months or so i've thought maybe i'm not supposed to get a phd and that's okay so you end up getting married you stayed in utah or did you end up leaving utah Uh, we stayed in utah for just another year while he finished up his schooling and then we moved to charlotte north carolina Mm. Where he got his first job, and I we, love Charlotte. Yeah, what I do a too. Beautiful place. <laughs> I do. I love it. And my um, first two children were born there in Charlotte. Um, I was teaching Spanish at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and um, some and a community college there. But uh, when my son was born, I I stopped teaching, and that's the last time I taught Spanish. So really? just really never went back and did that again. Um, mm. What I'm doing now is completely different, right? Yeah, but I, I still so. love Spanish, but I just, life took a different turn. Right. Yeah. So when did when did writing come into play? Because uh, that's kind of how we know you. There's, yeah. uh, you have two books. Uh, Covenant Motherhood came first. Yeah. Uh, was that the first major thing you had written or were there some things leading yeah, up? Yeah. I mean, other than my master's thesis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, How did covenant motherhood come to be? Yeah. I, I guess the transition there came from, well, one thing you need to know about me is that I teach living prophets at BYU. That's what I do. Oh, you do? I yes. didn't know that. Yes. And so um, living prophets is just a huge thing in my life. I love studying the teachings of living prophets. I'm Mm. a general conference fanatic. Wow. And um, so in about 2008, I was studying a talk by President Ballard, then Elder Ballard, Mm -hmm. where he encouraged us to use technology for good and to promote the cause of the church. And I was a young mom with three little kids. Um, My husband was in law school and working full-time. We were in Minnesota, in the coldest winter of my life. Mm. And I just felt prompted that I should start a blog. But I had no idea even 
what that what I I had to call up people and say, so how do you do a blog? Like, where do you get one? What do you do? <laughs> and my brother-in-law helped point me to Blogger, you know, and some platforms. And at yeah. the time, uh, on Macs, there was something, I think it was called iWeb or something. I can't remember. That's what I initially mm. started using to build a blog. But I, I thought, what do I do a blog on? Like, I, I knew I wasn't going to do I, I wanted it to be kind of missionary. I wanted to fulfill this challenge by Elder Ballard, but I didn't want it to be apologetics or, I don't know, sure, very overt. And so I just decided that I would start where I was, which was mom of small children. Yeah. And I started a blog about motherhood. It was called Diapers and Divinity. <laughs> Diapers and Divinity. What a great name. Yeah. And I and just... This is... This is- Pre, I mean, the mommy blogger. Yeah, it was right at the beginning of, of that. Yeah, this was early. Right, this was early. Diapers so this was two thousand two thousand eight. I started this blog, and the goal of the blog was for me. The tagline was finding faith in motherhood, and so I made it a point to kind of record events of days and tie it to my faith. Mm. And um, that's where the writing kind of took off for me because it was something that I looked forward to on a regular basis. I would kind of step out of my mom's shoes at night when the kids were in bed and just write out thoughts for the from the day and um, and really started to get kind of a community in blogging, which was fantastic. Wow. Just kind of found like-minded people. And I still have dear friends from that time. We get together annually and um, just... We met each, all met each other in those Mormon mommy blog days, and yeah. um, and so out of that, out of writing all of that, because I was writing about life, I was thinking about it differently. Um, I was looking for faith in motherhood as I was experiencing it, and I had a lot of revelatory experiences where mm. I felt like God was teaching me things about motherhood. I should probably preface that by saying I was a very reluctant mother. I um, was very scared of having children. And so even though I married late, I was by LDS standards, I guess, which which are not real standards. Right. But Absolutely. Um, I did not have children for three more years. I had my first child when I was 30. And um, Was that because of fear? Yes. I was very... I just felt like I wouldn't be good at it. I wouldn't like it. I didn't feel like any of my gifts or talents corresponded to what I believed motherhood was supposed to be. Mm. And I just, I felt very disconnected from it. And I felt like it was a job that you don't just quit it if you don't like it. Right. Once and you're I, in, you're in. Yeah. And I, and I was afraid I wouldn't like it. And mm. so I was just very hesitant. And so um, I studied, I undertook a personal study because I knew that if I could understand it, like if I could gain a testimony of it, I could do it. And so I read every single conference talk that I could find that was about motherhood and womanhood. Mm. And I studied the family proclamation and I read them all. And, um, even though I didn't gain a whole lot of confidence in myself, I gained a lot of confidence in the Lord. And I repeatedly heard 
and felt his promises that he would bless me in that endeavor. Mm. And so that gave me enough faith to say, fine, (laughs) I'll try it. (laughs) I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Do you think that, you know, or maybe you've heard this now through your blogging years, do you think a lot of women go through this? Yes. A lot of, I can't do this? Um, yes, and even more so now with my students at BYU. I I sense that a lot in them. They're very hesitant. Um, they keenly feel, because of the many wonderful opportunities that they have, they keenly feel the sacrifice mm. of motherhood, that it's Give, it feels like giving up a lot of things to do that. Um, my personal experience is that God is very compensatory. And all of the things that I was afraid of giving up because of motherhood, he has, on a different timeline, gently kind of doled them back out to me little mm. by little over time. And so I'm at a place now where I can say he he did not withhold anything from me because of the choice I made to be a mother. And he's given me different opportunities than I probably would have had otherwise. And I think that for me, he knows that those were better opportunities for the type of person that I needed to become and the ways that I needed to be stretched and grow and learn and maybe be able to, affect others as well. Um, So all of that backstory leads to the fact that for me writing this blog, I was right where I was afraid I was going to be with three small children spending my days doing the mundane tasks of motherhood and thinking, is this really my life? Like, Ugh. <laughs> I I was just I was just exhausted and yeah. I felt like I can do so many other things and yet this is what I'm doing with my life. And so the impression to write that blog was as much for me to find meaning in what I was doing as it was to share it. And that is why I believe I said I started having some revelatory experiences where, as I continued to study and pray and look for meaning in motherhood, that um, Heavenly Father started teaching me some things and helping me to see what was happening in my daily life in the context of my role as a covenant woman. Mm. And I started to recognize that many if not all of the things that we do as mothers are reflections of the roles that the Savior Jesus Christ plays in our lives. Oh, interesting. And so the more and more I learned about that, it became a very thematic learning process for me where every you know, you turn one way and see a lesson and connect it to another. And I was just having a lot of those experiences. And so I was writing many of them on my blog, but I was also just kind of jotting them down, trying to remember them and collected files and started feeling like it needed to become a book. I I can see in your face as we're sitting here talking, and I'm sure it's coming through to our audience, what a difficult time this was. But I can also tell you can look back now and see that you kind of needed to go through that 
to get to where you are today. Yeah, it's a little bit funny. We went back to Minnesota a few years ago. This is going to sound totally overdramatic, but no. we um, we drove past our our home, where which is where I had those three little kids. I feel silly that I'm being a little emotional about it, but I think I had PTSD <laughs> when when we <laughs> when we went past the the house and. But I told I told Matt, and this is the part that's a little overdramatic. I said, I know this is a stretch, but Elder Holland tells he gave a devotional called Lessons Learned from Liberty Jail. He talks about Joseph Smith and his experience there, and he calls that experience a temple prison. Hmm. And that's a little bit the way I felt about the four years <laughs> that were that were spent when I had yeah. three children in four years. Wow. And like I said, my husband was in law school and he was working full time. And I had some deep lessons to learn. Mm. Um and so Temple Prison is ki- kind of kind of a joke because it was dark, but it was also very revelatory and the lord was teaching me some really important lessons during that time yeah what a beautiful experience and what a beautiful way to put it and i totally get it i mean that's i i don't know that talk but temple prison it sounds to me like raising kids generally (laughs) you know it is it's the most and like i said i don't mean to make fun make light of it because it's a very it's a very sacred thing and i don't want i i don't want to imply that my years of motherhood were a prison they 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 weren't but there were some times where i i felt like what am i doing here what am why why am I here and not somewhere else or right. doing something else? But God was teaching me some really yeah. important lessons. And to your point earlier too, you can't leave. Yeah. You know, right. you, you don't get to you don't get to take a year off. Right. So no, that's a that's a beautiful experience. Well, this all then uh leads to the book Covenant Motherhood. Yeah. Uh was it sort of a compilation of everything you had written? Yeah, it was. It was all about the reflections of Jesus Christ in our roles as a mother. So, awesome. For example, Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a savior. Mm. Jesus is a cleanser. Jesus is um, a teacher. You know, all of these different things, and just talked about how each of those things are reflected in the very simple day-to-day things that mothers do that, you know, we clean, we heal, we sucker, we lift, we save, we rescue, we do so many things. And that every one of those things really is just a reflection of what Christ does for us. And as, as we start to see him more in it, it becomes more meaningful and poignant because not only is it a way of vicariously doing for others what Christ does for us, but it also keeps us bound to Christ in everything that we're Mm. doing. I love that. I have not thought of things in that way, but it's just beautiful. To get this all put together, was the plan from the beginning to publish it? Um, The plan from the beginning was just to write it. I felt like God kept telling me, you need to write this down. You need to write it down. And I kept saying, I don't know 
if it's ever supposed to be read. I just know it's supposed to be written. <laughs> yeah. And so um, at the end of those four years, we ended up moving to Utah. My husband got a job actually working for the church. Mm. And so that brought us here. And um, just kind of one little, I use the word coincidence, tongue-in-cheek, after another, um, I was connected with people and was able to meet some writers that I had originally met through that blogging group. Now some were published writers. Through them, I was able to meet um, editors, and I was able to get the manuscript in the hands of somebody who was anxious to publish it, and that was a real blessing. And did you get that same excitement you had from the friend when you saw the book come (laughs) out with your name on it? Um, Well, yes and no, because, you know... As a child, you publish something like that, and it's just exciting. As an adult, it felt exciting and at the same time incredibly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was terrified. I, I almost had not a real panic attack. I don't mean to make light of it, but I felt severe anxiety right before it got published. Sure. Because the idea that like my life – all of the inspiration that I had received and collected at a high price over the last few years would be sitting on strangers' nightstands for Mm. them to read through (laughs) and pick apart and maybe not get or, you know, whatever. And that was frightening to me. I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? (laughs) What have I done? I was just scared to, to just kind of put all of that out there. Yeah, but the book comes out. And uh, what year, do you remember what year the book came out? 2013. Yeah, and they're getting ready to re-release? Uh, yeah, it's going to be made available soon. Um, you know, the original printing all kind of ran out, so it went it went out of print, um, but they are going to be doing some print-on-demand, so it'll be available to like order on Amazon or yeah. from Siegel Book website, things like that, where you can do them. Um, they're waiting on me to finish up the audiobook for it, and awesome. then they're going to re-release it as a print-on-demand publish. So you have all the anxiety about the book going out, then the book goes out, Yeah. then you start getting the feedback of... I'm sure men and women, I appreciate this. I needed this. How rewarding is that? It is rewarding. Um, it feels it feels good. It makes me happy if the book helps people <laughs> in the sense that I know that a lot of young mothers feel kind of trapped in those cycles and and gosh, I even hate to use that word trapped because I I always feel very co- self-conscious because I here I am teaching and mentoring sometimes BYU students who are making the decision about motherhood and I I want to boldly testify it is right it is yeah. good it is it is the most wonderful thing to feel the love of motherhood and be stretched in so many ways mm-hmm. and so I I, it's it's hard to kind of balance that walk and say, you know, talk to the young mother and say, oh my goodness, I know it is so hard right where you are. It is yeah. so busy. It is so exhausting. And then turn to the young adult and say, you can do this. You should be a mother. You want to be a <laughs> you mother. You want to do this. And there is there is this hard truth yeah. that it is wonderful because it's hard. It's a balance. And I, I think we owe it to women in the church who are women everywhere 
who are going to become mothers to, to let them know you're going to have days like this. Because I think that because we maybe haven't talked that openly yeah. in the past, mothers would come into motherhood, feel that way, and then think, what's wrong with me? Yeah. I don't feel like the way motherhood is always talked about in conference or at no. church. No. I feel these other things. I think if they hear before they go into it, you're going to have these experiences. Right. Yeah. It's uh, helpful. Elder Ballard gave a talk where he said that joy in motherhood is found in moments. And I have remembered that and reminded myself of that. And when I look for those moments, you can absolutely recognize them and see them. But it's healthy to acknowledge mm. that joy is not a permanent condition of motherhood. It is. It's something. Yeah. It's something you you work toward and you relish when it comes. But there's a whole lot of <laughs> not joy in the middle of it. And oh, I so hope true. that's not sacrilegious no. to say, but there's just a whole lot of nitty gritty real life that's just the work part. Yeah. And joy is a product of the work, work, work. And it and it makes it all the more wonderful makes when it perfect comes. sense. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, this takes us to your newest book. Let's talk about Learn of Me. Okay, so again, this ties back again to the living prophets, right? Um, in 2017, President Nelson gave a challenge to all of the young adults of the church. Uh, it was a devotional he gave at BYU called um, Prophets. Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. So let me back up that sentence. It was a devotional he gave at BYU about prophets and divine law. And in that devotional, he challenged all the young adults of the church to study everything about Jesus Christ in the standard works. Mm. And he said that as they did that, he pro made some really great promised blessings that they that their love for the Savior would grow, that their love for divine law would increase, and that they would have an increased power to resist temptation and face the dangers of our day. In April of the same year, he extended the same challenge to all the members of the church in general conference, and he suggested using the topical guide as a way to mm, begin yeah. that study. And he said to look up Jesus Christ in the topical guide and all 57 subheadings and to study those <laughs> scriptures in your effort to know the Savior through the scriptures. So that began for me a personal study of doing that. And I was having a great study experience doing that. Because I am in the space of living prophets teaching that at, right. at BYU, I always wrap up my scripture study with teachings from living prophets, because the things I read in the scriptures trigger memories in my mind of talks mm. and things like that about those. And so I study them together. And I've always done that, I think. Probably not always, but it's something that I've developed over time and I love to do. And so I had a conversation with a friend at the time about the challenge and some of the things I was learning. And she commented about how she could never think that way when she was reading the scripture. She would never think to make those connections. It actually came fairly easy to me because of the study space that I was in and teaching my classes. And so I just had the thought... I could put these tools together and make it easy for people to study these scriptures and have a lot of different resources that kind of bring them into our current times and what the prophets are saying about these things now, and maybe make it a powerful learning tool. And so um, that's where the idea for this workbook how came long, from. How long, uh, so you were 
very kind and generous enough to bring me a copy, which I'm so excited to dive <laughs> into because my brain doesn't work that way at all. Um, it's a huge book. <laughs> it's a workbook. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's space to write in yes. it and, and it's a, it's working through learning all these yeah. things. Uh, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's Thank a you. big, beautiful book. How long did it take you to put this together? Um, it took about a year and a half. That's amazing to me that you can be a mother and teaching at BYU and put together something like this that quickly. Yeah, well, my comment to that is that's because there's some things I'm not good at. <laughs> and so, you know, you you put your energy into the things that you that you do well, <clears throat> and I'm not great at laundry and other things. So, um I just spent a, a lot of time on this, and I I have to say that one of the lessons that I learned in that whole motherhood <clears throat> learning period for myself was that I believe that God gives all of us gifts, spiritual gifts and talents mm. that can be used in many ways. But yeah. as I reflected upon the um, family proclamation, and it states that family is central to God's plan— mm. I thought those gifts are probably meant for families. Yeah. If it's the central part of his plan, then he has probably given us gifts and talents to use in our families. And it's great that we can use them in lots of different ways, but it's okay for me to take my skills and my talents and apply them to my own style of motherhood. Yeah. And so that has been very comforting to me to know okay. that I can be a me kind of mom that uses the gifts that God <laughs> gave me and I don't have to look like or be like what other moms do the mom thing like. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, motherhood involves spending several hours of day while kids are at school on my writing and research projects and things like that. I and love it. That's the way my kids see me do my thing. When your kids are going to have this long after you're gone. Right. And they might like it when I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, they don't care. Uh, They don't think anything is very interesting or... But they will. That's the great thing is (laughs) I just think it's awesome. I'm excited. I'm actually excited to dive in and actually read the book and work my way through it. Because I think that we've been missing this kind of tool to get to know the Savior in this way. And all part of the reason you say it's huge, one of the reasons that it's big, because I don't want it to be scary to someone, is yeah. that it has in the workbook all of the f- verses in full citation. So you do not have to do that topical mm. guide thing where you flip back and forth to look up every single verse, read what it says. They're all there. They're right there. There's questions where you can write and journal. There there are reflection questions for you to think about. There's lots of quotes from gospel scholars, general authorities, prophets and apostles that go along with each topic. And um, so it goes through all 57 subheadings of Jesus Christ in the Topical Guide with a lot of additional resources and thought-provoking questions and places to write and other resources, long lists of things you can look up if you want to study it even more. Now that I'm looking at this and now that I know you, it, you know, with you teaching at BYU and, and your history with education, it feels like this is a course book. 
like a textbook for like if we were to have a class of get to know the savior yeah <laughs> like this would be the text for it is that fair it might be fair the text is the scriptures right which is of the course, best which is course. the best way to get sure. to know the savior but what i have tried to do i guess in a sense is add some pedagogical tools that help you to yeah. think about it differently and give you some more research helps so that you can kind of dive in and do it. It's very self-guided in that way that you can do it at your own pace and mm. just go just go through it. Right now, I'm going through it again since I wrote it a year and a half ago. Now I'm studying it now that I have it in book form and yeah. it's prettier than on my computer screen and I can write on it. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, um, and I'm just doing things like taking a page a day and reading all of the verses and the quotes, writing out answers to some of the questions. When I get to the end of each chapter, there's a list of recommended study. Um, there's some book chapters, some general conference talks, mm. things like that. And so then I'll take a day for each one of those and go awesome. through those and then move on to the next topic. And so there's lots of different ways it could be approached. Yeah. But for me, it's just a way to have a little bit of intense concentration on the Savior every day, thinking about Him, His attributes, His roles, awesome, and reflecting on what that means for me right now. And I want to be clear, when I say it's a big book, I'm only giving credit to how much work went into it. Our listeners should not be intimidated by it at all. It's not at all intimidating. In fact, it's so incredibly user-friendly with all the places to make notes and to take notes. And I, I just think it's awesome. The book is called Learn of Me. I like the uh, the subtitle of the book, Jesus Christ in the Topical Guide, an Annotated Study Workbook. And it really is. It's a workbook. It's a way to work through this yes. challenge. It's beautiful. If people want to buy the book, uh, what's the best way for them to get it? Uh, it is at Deseret Bookstore, Siegel Book. Um, you can also get it on Amazon. We've had a little bit of supply issues, but I hope they get it up so that you could get some copies there for the holidays as well. And um, Oh, this yeah. would be such a beautiful gift going into the new year. And uh, I think especially coming off of this year, studying more yeah. in the New Testament, now taking this time to do a deep dive in, in getting to know Christ through all of the scriptural resources we have. I think it's just awesome. We will share links on our social media to all of this as to where you can get it. And this has just been wonderful, Stephanie. Thank you thank so you. much for coming in and taking the time. Highly recommend this book. Uh, Learn of Me, again, is is the title uh, by Stephanie Dibbs Sorensen. We are going to wrap up today's conversation with the question that we ask from all of our guests, which is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? I think my answer is simply that I am bound to Jesus Christ by covenants. And so being a member of this church means living in a way that I stand as a witness of him in all things, in all times, in all places because of those covenants. Mm. And that's it. That is awesome. She is a published author. She's a great mother. <laughs> great mother, as well as she teaches at BYU and does so many other great things in this world. Stephanie Dipsorenson, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And my special thanks to my guest, Stephanie Dib Sorensen. Isn't she just fantastic? We had such a great conversation, and I appreciate 
her being so open and so vulnerable. And she brought me a copy of her book that I'm just excited to dive into and spend some time getting to know our Savior better. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, I actually got to doing a lot of thinking after our conversation with Stephanie. And I think that, you know, all of us as parents carry that little bit of guilt. We carry that little bit of guilt of, am I enough? And sometimes we compare ourselves to other parents that we see. And we go, geez, I, I see some super dads. And they're at every football practice and at every scouting thing, and they're teaching their kids to fix cars and to fix houses and to whatever, construction. I am no good at any of those things. I am terrible. And sometimes I just sit and I worry. I'm not good at school. I can't really help my kids with their homework. And uh, a lot of things that a lot of dads I see do, I can't do. And as I am recording this, Uh, We are leaving for Orlando in an hour to take my son Keaton for his 16th birthday. We're going to go spend the weekend in Orlando. And we decided to bring our 21-year-old son along with us, Miles, and we're going to spend a day at Kennedy Space Center and a a day at Disney World, and we're really looking forward to it. And last night, I dropped off a suitcase at my son Miles' house. He doesn't live with us. He's 21. And uh, as I dropped it off to him, I said, okay, remember, we're traveling with only carry-ons, you know, small toothpaste, and don't worry, there'll be shampoo and conditioner at the hotel, you don't need to worry about it. And I was kind of giving this rundown, and he goes, Dad, I got it. I have done this a million times, don't worry. And I suddenly realized, you know, Miles' first time on an airplane was probably when he was one. I mean, I remember, I don't remember which of our kids, but one of our kids went on a cruise when they were six weeks old with us. We are a traveling family. And my kids are awesome at traveling. They know how to pack. They know how to negotiate airports. They know how to get good seats on a plane. They know how to get, you know, transportation and hotels. And they know that. And they've, I think every one of my children has been out of the country, most of them multiple times, as we've been to the Caribbean, and we've been to Puerto Rico, and we've been uh, up to uh, Canada and British Columbia. They've all had pretty significant travel experiences. And as I left, I was laughing about, yeah, of course he knows what he's doing. And then I started thinking of why he knows that. He knows that because I taught him. What else did I teach my children? Well, I taught them the importance of work. I'm not the smartest man. I don't have a college degree, but I have worked my entire life. They have always seen me work hard. What else? They know I love my wife. They know that I love the gospel. They know that Christ is the center of my heart and the center of my life, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything to me. And as I was driving back from my son's house, I was listing all these things that I've taught him. And no, I don't think any of my sons (laughs) or daughters can throw a spiral football like some kids can. And maybe they can't fix even the most basic things because I am useless with tools. And I did not take them to do a lot of camping. But I taught them a lot of things that are important to me and the rest they're going to have to figure out. But I had this incredibly warm feeling over the weekend that I I think I've been enough because if nothing else, they know that I love them. And that has, I don't think has ever been in doubt for many of them. I always jokingly tell my kids that when you leave my home, 
you only need to know three things. I love you, God loves you, and no one owes you anything. And if you understand those three things, you're going to be just fine. So I've done my best, and I heard that in Stephanie. We all go through those doubts. I hope we can all pray, and especially in this season as we celebrate the Savior, and let go of these dumb, dumb feelings. These feelings are not from God. We've done our best. We will continue to do our best. You are doing just fine, whether you're a parent or a kid or a wife or a husband or a worker, whatever you're doing, whatever role you're taking on, you are doing just fine. The important thing is to let go and to get up tomorrow and just do that little bit better. And that's what I plan and hope to do. And fortunately, tomorrow I get to get up and do that at Disney World. So that's going to be just all right. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate all of your support. If you enjoy the show, the most helpful thing you can do is to leave us a review, especially on iTunes or wherever you're listening. If you could leave us a five-star review, we appreciate it. Uh, If you want to follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, we always share things from past guests. And if you want to reach out to me directly, again, if you have Christmas stories, please send them my way. It's sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. Well, I think that's about it for this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>